Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Philippians and the third chapter. Philippians 3.17 for our message from the Word of God this morning. You'll find Philippians 3.17 on page 1260 if you're using the church Bible this morning. This morning being October 2nd, 2022. This morning's text is going to be in Philippians 3.17 right on down to the end of the chapter in verse 21. And the title of this morning's message is Following the Apostle Paul. Following the Apostle Paul. And we begin with the story of a woman of no particular hair color who drove right into a blizzard one night. So she got behind a truck and followed it. About an hour later, the truck pulled over. And the driver got out and asked her why she was following him. And she explained that her father had taught her if she got caught in a blizzard, to follow a truck. And he said, you know, I thought that might be what you're doing. Because I do that too when I'm driving my car. So I thought I'd let you know that I'm heading over to Walmart now that I'm done plowing Target's parking lot. (laughs) She'd been following him. Well, as you know, if you're caught in a blizzard, it is a good idea to follow a truck. But as you can tell from that story, uh, it's important to follow the right truck. (laughs) And when it comes to studying the Word of God, it's important to follow the right apostle. And in the first verse of our text, the Apostle Paul tells us members of the body of Christ that we should be followers of Him. I direct your attention at this time to Philippians 3.17 where Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of Me. And mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an ensample. Now, as you probably know, if you fly a lot, when you fly somewhere and the plane lands, the flight attendant always picks up the microphone and says, Thank you for flying with us. We know you have many choices when you fly, so we thank you for choosing us. And when it comes to studying the scriptures, folks, 
we have many choices of which men in the Bible we want to follow. And the choice isn't just limited to apostles. At Brian Bible Society, I frequently hear from people who follow Moses. And they tell me that I should follow Moses by following the law of Moses and observing the Sabbath and not eating bacon or lobster. I got to tell you, I had some lobster cakes the other day from a grocer in Wisconsin called Sendix. That's a chain up there. Anybody ever been up there and shopped at Sendix? Well, anyway, they were good stuff. (laughs) And I know that I can enjoy them without displeasing God because your Apostle Paul says in your first reference in Romans 6.15, we are not under the law but under grace. So on the way home, I recommend you stop at Wendy's and get a Baconator. Because listen, that's yum. Uh, That's yum and a half. That's yummy stuff. But when it comes to following any man's teaching, it helps to have role models. So... In verse 17 there, Paul says to mark the men who do follow in his footsteps. So you have them and Paul himself for an example. That kind of reminds me of how when you're watching football on TV, the announcers will sometimes say, Now, for all of you young quarterbacks out there, you should learn to do what Tom Brady just did. And then they replay the play, and they mark Brady by drawing a circle around him on the screen to make it easier for you to follow him as the play develops and learn how to be a good quarterback. And your Apostle Paul says to mark the men who walk in his footsteps and use them as an example to learn how to be a good Christian in the dispensation of grace. Now that means that there must be something that you can see Paul's followers do or not do as role models that will teach you how to follow the Apostle Paul. And to make sure that we understand exactly what he's talking about, Paul goes on to talk about some men who are not following in his footsteps. Back in your Bible now, in verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now there you see what a serious thing it is to not follow the Apostle Paul. Because if you don't, you're an enemy 
of the cross of Christ. That's what God's Word says. So, who are these many men who were not walking according to Paul's footsteps? Well, you'll notice there in verse 18 that he says he's already told the Philippians about those men often in the past. Probably starting when he was with them there in Philippi and continuing here in this epistle he was writing to them. So let's back up to the first two verses of chapter 3, back in your Bible now, and see what he said there. In Philippians 3 verse 1, he started this chapter by saying, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, same things that I told you about when I was there in Philippi, to me, indeed, is not grievous. He says, I don't get tired of telling you about it because for you, it is safe. So, well, verse 2, let's read that too. Beware of dogs, like I did told you when I was there with you. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. So, whoever these men are who weren't following Paul, he calls them dogs. Now, as you may remember, when the Lord was here on the earth, the Gentiles were considered dogs because, well, frankly, a dog will eat anything. Years ago, when I worked for Pastor Stam at Brigham Bible Society, we had a I had an office co-worker named Martha, older lady, and uh, her dog would eat anything. And one day he ate a stretch of carpeting. And sure enough, a couple days later, there was a stretch of carpeting coming out of an orifice in uh, his uh, body, as I remember. But the Gentiles were called dogs because they, they wouldn't follow the diet laws of Leviticus chapter 11. And we saw that in our scripture reading this morning, didn't we? When a Gentile woman asked the Lord to cast the devil out of her daughter, what did he say in your next reference in Matthew fifteen twenty six? It's not meat. It's not fit to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. The Lord told that Gentile woman that it wasn't fitting, it wasn't meat, it wasn't proper to take bread that belonged to the children of Israel, the bread of their blessings, and give it to a Gentile dog like her. But, as we're seeing here in Philippians 3, beginning with the ministry of the Apostle Paul, there was a dispensational change. And now, unsaved Jews who weren't following Paul, they're the dogs. And you know he's talking about unsaved Jews here in verse 2 because verse 2 also calls them the concision. Now, Jews back then were known as the circumcision, right? But now that's changed and now they're just the 
concision. You say, well, what's a concision? Well, do you see the word concise in that word concision? The word concise means to the point. Get to the point. Be concise. When I write an article for the searchlight and it's 3,200 words, that's too long because the magazine's only 32 pages and we have to fit other articles in there. Some of them by that pesky president of mine, Kevin. He always wants to get his in there just because he's the president. (laughs) So if my article's too long, I have to cut it to make it concise and to the point. So Paul is saying that in God's eyes, circumcision is now nothing more than a concision. It's nothing more than a cut. A cut in the flesh that shortens things. I'm just trying to make it clear what he's talking about. And and if unsaved Jews try to tell you that you have to be circumcised to be saved, as Orthodox Jews still would, I would imagine, verse 2 calls men like that evil workers. Because it is evil to tell a man in the dispensation of grace that he can't be saved without circumcision. It's evil because as it says in the next verse, in verse 3 there in your Bible, we are the circumcision. We're the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in fleshly things like physical circumcision. Members of the body of Christ, like you and me, are now the circumcision that God Almighty recognizes. And we don't need to be physically circumcised because we already have a spiritual circumcision that Paul references there in verse 3 and talks more about in Colossians 2, verses 10 to 12, your next reference. He says, you are complete in Him, Christ, in whom also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, buried with Him in baptism. Paul says we are spiritually complete without the circumcision that Jews needed in the Old Testament to be saved and without the physical baptism they needed in the New Testament to be saved. Because we were spiritually baptized into Christ and spiritually circumcision-sized <laughs> with a circumcision made without human hands and buried with Christ in a spiritual baptism as well. But... Unsaved Jews in those days refused to recognize that dispensational change, folks. And they walked contrary to it by continuing to tell Gentiles they had to be circumcised to be saved. And listen, 
It's hard to resist the pressure of religious traditions like that because they have millions of role models down through the past several thousand years. So Paul, back in Philippians chapter 3 there in verse 17, he says to mark the men who follow him by refusing to be baptized or circumcised. So you have them as an example and as a role model of your own. Now, back in Philippians 3, at the end of the chapter there, the reason verse 18 calls those men enemies of the cross is because of what Paul said about those ordinances of circumcision and baptism in that same second chapter of Colossians and verse 14. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, like baptisms of the Old Testament and New Testament and circumcision. At the cross, he was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it where? To his cross. The need for physical circumcision was nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ along with the need for physical baptism. And you don't need those things anymore. And if you don't agree, Paul says you're an enemy to that cross. And that'll match what Paul called those men in Romans 11.26 where he talked about Israel as concerning the gospel, talking about unsaved Jews, our enemies for your sake. Hey folks, I don't have to tell you the gospel is all about the cross. And if you try to add to what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save you, you're an enemy to the cross. And verse 18 says that it made Paul... Weep to think about it. Now I got to tell you, if I were Paul, I'd have been weeping about something else. He's in prison when he wrote those words, and I don't know about you, I'd be weeping about that. Not the Apostle Paul. He was crying because there were men who opposed the cross of Christ. And you know what? You and I should follow his example and quit crying about our circumstances, even if you get thrown in jail, and start crying about men who oppose the cross of Christ and the preaching of the cross of Christ. Because folks, they may be enemies, but what does Paul say to do with your enemies in your next reference? Romans 12.20, he says, If your enemy hungers, feed him. Men who add to the cross of Christ are the enemies of the cross of Christ. But Christians shouldn't go to war with their enemies. They should feed the gospel. If you want to be like Paul, how many of you want to be like Paul? (laughs) Now next, in Philippians 3, toward the end there, 
Paul tells us why he wept over those enemies of the cross in verse 19, where he says of the enemies he mentioned in verse 18, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now the reason Paul wept over those enemies of the cross is because, as he said, their end is destruction. If those men were unsaved, they were heading for the eternal destruction of hell and the lake of fire. And if they're saved, they were heading for the kind of destruction you read about in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 to 17, where Paul says, I have laid the foundation, Jesus Christ. Build upon this foundation. Build the body of Christ on him. If any man's work abide which he hath built, he'll receive a reward. But if any man defile or tear down the body of Christ instead of building it up, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God, what's that next word? Destroy which temple you are. Any work that you do after you're saved that, that builds the temple of the body of Christ is going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. But any work you do that tears down the temple of the body of Christ is going to be destroyed <clears throat> at the judgment seat of Christ. And listen, to get to the point, telling men they have to be circumcised or baptized to be saved tears down the body of Christ by destroying a believer's confidence in the cross of Christ. By making believers think that the cross is not enough. they got to add things like circumcision and baptism to be complete. Now verse 19 says the reason these enemies will be destroyed is because their God is their belly. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, when you make something your God... You do things to serve your God, don't you? And Paul tells us what these enemies did to serve their God in Romans 16 and 17. He's talking about the same enemies of the cross, them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you learned, contrary to what they learned from Paul. Those people serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. How? Well, they serve their own belly when by good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple. In other words, those enemies went around making speeches and telling people they needed to be circumcised to be saved. That was their motive, their, their belly. 
They didn't do it because they loved people. They did it to serve their own belly. You say, well, how would making speeches like that serve their belly? Well, look what Paul said about those men in your next reference in Titus 1, verses 10 and 11. He said, there are many unruly and vain talkers. Talkers make speeches and say good words. Of the circumcision, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Well, first of all, wouldn't vain talkers of the circumcision talk about the need to be circumcised? Oh, yeah. And Paul says that the reason that those fast-talking unsaved Jews spoke those good words and fair speeches was for their belly, their filthy lucre's sake. In other words, for money. If you've got money, you can feed your belly. And uh, money will feed your appetite for a whole lot of other things in life, won't it? Now, don't get me wrong. Circumcision and baptism used to be glorious components of God's program for Israel. But now that there's been a dispensational change, if you preach those things, verse 19 back in your Bible says that the glorious components there, if you preach that now, your glory is in your shame. Because you're adding to the cross. And adding to the cross is nothing short of shameful in the eyes of Almighty God. And it's the kind of shame that could be avoided if you do what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study the Word of God to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that what? Needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. If you divide the word of truth into the parts that belong to Israel and the parts that belong to us, you will know that baptism and circumcision belong to Israel and not to us. And getting back to our text, all of that tells you what Paul means at the end of verse 19 when he says those enemies mind earthly things. Now I want you to notice there what he doesn't say. He doesn't say they mind sinful things. He says they mind earthly things like Israel's earthly circumcision and baptism instead of heavenly things like our spiritual circumcision and baptism. And the reason Paul says you shouldn't mind earthly things is because as he goes on to say in verse 20 our conversation is not on the earth it's in heaven heaven from whence we also look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ Paul says not to mind earthly things what's that first word of verse 20 for that is because of the fact that our conversation isn't earthly, it's heavenly. Now, 
that word conversation in our day refers to uh, what we say, right? But it used to refer to what we do. And that's the context here. Paul's talking about whether or not we need to do the works of baptism and circumcision, the ordinances. Now, the Greek word for conversation is a form of the word that our King James translators translated citizen in other places. And that's okay because we're citizens of heaven. But the form of the Greek word that he uses here is only used here. And it means more than just citizenship. It's the word politima from which we get the word politics. And politics is the outworking of your citizenship, isn't it? Politics is what you do about your citizenship. And the way we work out our heavenly citizenship is by not getting physically baptized or circumcised or any of those earthly things that God asked the Jews to do, like keep the law of Moses and the Sabbath and the diet laws. But now, what good is being a citizen of a great country if you never get to go home and enjoy it? <laughs> no good at all. That's why in uh, this passage, uh, Paul goes on to say that we're looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and rapture us home, right? And when you get there, the Lord's going to make some really big changes in your life, as Paul goes on to say in our last verse of our text in verse 21. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of verse 20, he says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, you might not live to see the rapture. You might die or fall asleep, as the Bible talks about it, before the rapture. But you know what? That doesn't mean you're going to miss out on the big changes. <laughs> because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, talking about the rapture, we shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die before the Lord's come. Some of us will live to see it. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, whether we're alive or dead. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Whether we're dead or alive when the rapture comes, folks, that vile body of yours is going to be changed. Now maybe you're thinking, well, I can see why Paul would call dead bodies rotting in the grave, vile. But my body's not so bad. Because you're probably only seeing that if you're a lot younger than me. <laughs> but listen, if, if that's what you're thinking, you're forgetting that your body 
can do the vilest thing of all. It can sin. That's how the word vile is used in the Scriptures, folks. But your new body is going to be like the Lord's body and not the one He lived in for 33 years when He walked around in Israel, folks. That body was capable of sinning. It never did. He just chose not to sin every day of His life. Every day of your Savior's life, He looked sin in the eye and said, No! No, what Paul's talking about here is His resurrection body. That's His glorious body. Now that He's risen from the dead, He cannot sin. And your new body, your new body is going to be fashioned like unto His body. Are you looking forward to that? If you don't think that God has the power to pull that off, and subdue that sinful nature of yours. Notice that verse 21 says that He's going to make this change in you according to the working whereby He is able to subdue all things to Himself. So what's that all about? (laughs) That's talking about something the Lord's going to do at the end of time. 1 Corinthians 15.24 tells you, Then cometh the end when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And all things shall be, hey, there's that word, subdued unto him. That's talking about how someday the Lord is going to subdue Satan and all of His fallen angels that now inhabit those thrones in heaven. And listen, if the Lord can subdue Satan and his host, do you really think He's going to have any trouble changing your vile body into one that can't sin anymore? I mean, if He's going to do it according to His power to subdue the vileness of Satan himself. Imagine focusing the power it would take to subdue the second most powerful creature in the universe and focusing all that power on your puny little body. I would say after that, you're not going to be able to sin anymore. And your body isn't just going to be fashioned like the Lord's body in a moral sense. It's going to be changed like unto His glorious resurrection body in a physical sense as well. And as you know, His resurrection body could do some amazing things. It could rise up through a rock tomb. It could enter a locked room where His apostles were meeting. And it could teleport itself around like it did in Luke 24.31 when it says He just vanished out of their sight. Think of that, teleporting. I mean, if you could do that now, it'd make your commute to work a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? I know it would make my 140-mile commute to work a whole lot easier. 
And the Lord's glorious resurrection body could also change forms like it did in Mark 16.12. He appeared in another form unto two of the disciples. He was able, if you read that passage, he was able to change his form so drastically they didn't recognize him. And I like that idea. I've always kind of been hoping for a taller, more handsome body, you know, and someday I'll have one. If I want. But don't worry, I'll be able to change it back to what this looks like so you can recognize me. <laughs> hey, if you're if you're looking forward to doing stuff like that, say amen. <laughs> You say, all right, well, what, what happens if I die before the Lord comes and my body is cremated or dissolved in a vat of liquid steel like at a, one, of the, one of the mills or if I drown in the ocean and my body's dissolved there? Well, if you want to talk about things dissolving, look at your next reference in Second Peter 3.10 and 10-13 to 13. Where Peter says that the heavens someday shall pass away with a great noise. We believe in the Big Bang Theory. It just hasn't happened yet. Big, big Bang noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The heavens being on fire will be what? The heavens are going to be dissolved. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look for new heavens and a new earth. Now, did you notice that Peter said that someday the earth and the heavens are going to pass away? That means the heavens and the earth are going to die and need a resurrection. All creation is going to die and be dissolved. And replaced, Paul says, with a new heaven and a new earth. Well, let me ask you. If God can make new heavens and a new earth out of the first ones after they pass away and are dissolved, do you really think he's going to have any problem making a new body out of your body after you pass away and your body dissolves? He's going to do it according to the working where he's able to subdue all things unto himself. Imagine taking the power the Lord's going to use to recreate the universe and focus it on your puny body. I don't care if you're vaporized at ground zero of a Russian nuclear explosion, which people are starting to worry about again. Almighty can put you back together again and will. Let me close by asking you the question that Peter asked in that same same passage there in 2 Peter 3 11 and 12. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation? and godliness. Hey folks, if everything you see when you look around you on earth or everything you see in the heavens 
when you look at them through a telescope. If all someday it's all going to be dissolved. If someday it's all going to be incinerated. Shouldn't you be living for the Lord instead of living for the world? How many of you remember the restaurant over in Glenwood the years ago called the Fireside Chalet? Anybody remember the Fireside Chalet? Uh, it was an old, It was the oldest building in Glenwood, and eventually it was condemned. And rather than just knock it down, the Glenwood Fire Department scheduled a day that they were going to set it on fire to give their firemen some real life training. They train all the time, but real life training. Now, if you heard about that in advance, do you think maybe you'd call and say, you know, before you you set the mat, I want to move all my valuables into the building. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't do that, would you? So don't be storing up treasures here on the earth like the Lord talked about. Because this planet is scheduled to be incinerated. We don't know the day, but He does. So why not live for the Lord Jesus Christ instead? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're motivated to serve Thee primarily by the love of God, the love of Christ, and the grace that You've showed us, the mercy You've showed us. But it helps to think about how, well, as Paul put it, the things we see are temporary. It's the things we don't see that are eternal. Teach us this morning to live for those. We pray it in the Savior's name.